Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am conducting over this meeting as Heavenly Mother and here presiding, looming over us, judging with his priesthood powers, is the brother of Jared. <laughs> Give him a cold, stealthy stare of welcome, as the Mormon Church does from our little pews, up to him on the stand. So the brother of Jared doesn't have a real name, and neither do I, is Heavenly Mother. <laughs> we just go by... <laughs> Who we know. I mean, I guess Heavenly Mother's name has never been revealed, but the brother of Jared's was revealed later on. You know, I I don't know where I heard this. Please don't quote me on this. <laughs> but someone told me it was Moroni. No, Moroni, sorry. Um, Mahanri. Yeah, like Mahanri Moriankamer. I had a friend named that, and I didn't learn this till I was like 21. I was like, get out. No, same. <laughs> I was in my 20s, and someone was like, well, his name is actually. And I was like, well, it's not in the book, so... Is is a wild it's a wild gander, but you know what? Anything can be true if you make it up. <laughs> that's, that's that's the story of the Book of Mormon. Um, also, for anyone who hasn't listened to all of our episodes, we're actually a married couple. So, fun fact. Yeah, it's been a long time since I was on the podcast. I think it was almost a year now, hasn't it been? It's been months. It's been months. This is like the anniversary of you coming into the podcast world, and close to our actual wedding anniversary. So. Fair enough. Yeah, it's been fun. I think it was like the last episode was about, it was something like missionary experiences or something like that, I believe. The last one you were on was missionaries on Facebook. Yeah, that's that the was, one. That's the oh, one. My goodness. I, I peep on here quite often, quite often. Um, but you're, you're my little favorite, obviously, because <laughs> I'm in love with you. But I thought we would talk about our little topic to he, he, he is basically like the church's expectations of significant other romantic relationships versus reality because they are nothing like they're not the same so i thought you would share some stories i'd share some stories we just this is normally how we talk y'all there's just a mic now <laughs> so trying to recreate what we do in the car at dinner whenever we're alone talking so that's no, fair i think like like from I would notice like a lot of relationships like that I would see in the church were vastly different than any kind of relationship outside of church. It was like I think with the earliest girl I think I went on a date on, um, we ended up not working out and this kind of threw me off of dating for a long time because we dated for two weeks and she started to get really distant and shy and she broke up with me because she was like, Well, I and again, we were like fifteen years old. She said, I feel like if we keep dating, then you'll have, then like, we'll have to get married. And I was like, whoa, like I'm a 15 year old. <laughs> the last thing in my mind is marrying you. I'm like, where is this coming from? But like church pushes marriage so hard that of course, like when you're now able to date, the only perspective you have is, oh, whoever I date better be the right one because I have to marry them potentially at 18 years old because that's what was the norm when I was a teen well you're exactly right you're exactly right I said in the one I did with sugarcane was Mormon dating has the end goal in mind like the the conclusion at the forefront and then so you basically work backwards and that's not um, healthy oh god no yeah <laughs> and like you know it's like every relationship that wasn't Mormon like, yeah, they had their ups and downs, but, like, I felt like that was part of the normal experience of being a teenager, whereas, like, even relationships with, like, 
another person like in the church always felt like it had to be accelerated um i didn't think this was normal when i was on my mission i actually had a companion who um well he was like he was in our same apartment but he was in another area he went to the mission already engaged at the age of 18 i was like that does not feel right like there's no way you're gonna you're going on your mission already engaged at the age of 18 that was mind-blowing to me i was like oh well i mean i hope it works out i think they ended up getting married but honestly i haven't i have no idea if they're still married to this day but i mean that's an example of like just how accelerated this whole like you know the expectation of the you know marriages in in the mormon church i knew several not several maybe like a handful of women that were engaged to a missionary um while he was out on a mission and none of them it worked out so there were some where like they dated before the mission and then they did stay together after but all the ones were like there was a or an engagement ring involved and like that your fiance didn't work out and then there was one little scum of the earth guy who he proposed to three different girls and didn't tell any of them and his his thoughts on the matter was like, well, one of them, like statistically, like my odds, one of them will be around. And if I can't think of a less romantic thing in my life <laughs> is knowing like at the same exact time that this man asked me to marry him, he asked two other women and we don't even know each other. It was it was despicable. And he married somebody. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's still in the church and has kids and is doing all that jazz. But just how unromantic a lot of mormon stuff is is pretty oh my gosh i honestly like it almost it's like the mormon church does a a form of like in a sense like arranged marriage like they're very strict on when you can date usually i think at the age of 16 was our word like don't date but like for instance with that first girl i mentioned we were really good friends for a long time we'd always hang out and so the church from like, as soon as we turned 12 and we were like young men and women, they would try to forcibly put us in activities together so that we would be together because how, what is the church's sure way of getting membership is baptisms through the church, like from within the church, that's their moneymaker in a sense, because with no members, that church is, you know, there's nothing. Um, so the church loves and thrives off of like, you know, kids being baptized in the church if they're, in a sense, born in the church. So I felt like that's what they were pushing so hard. And, like, it was weird because we both, we talked about it once, uh, me and this girl when we were older, that it kind of felt like we were always pushed to be together. And we just believed that. So when she came back from her mission and we, like, tried to make it work, uh, it didn't because we wanted two very different things. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. And thank God, because like, I really would not have been happy. That would have been awful. And it was just like something that was subliminally, sub, yeah, I'm I knew what you meant. Yeah. yeah subliminally being sent to me, <laughs> whatever the word is. Yeah, <laughs> you guys know what thing. I'm talking about. <laughs> it was like being fed to me on a spice spoon. And as an adult, I was like, yeah, no, like, I don't, I don't like that. And I feel like that's why romance is kind of dead in the church. Cause like, it's, it's awful. <laughs> like, no. It's true. It's true. And I think there's like a certain concept in the church that is romantic in theory. 
And then when you see it executed, you're like, that's not at all. And it's totally like a relevant theme to if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to Mormon weddings, please do. This is going to go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> is the, the notion of like these marriages are forever. They're for all eternity. There is no death do you part. There are other cultures that have that too. Mormons aren't the original. Mormons haven't come up with anything original. The episode <laughs> Mormon theft is also on that topic. But that idea of like, when I'm married to you, it's married for eternity. Those words, that sounds romantic. If you've seen this one princess, the song that they sing, mm-hmm. love that movie. I, I go, I stay in that movie you know, for longer than forever. I'm tone deaf. So like, this isn't a singing podcast. Um, but those, those words of that song are very pretty and it's very Mormon. It's made by a Mormon, a believing Mormon. I, I assume, I don't know. could be wrong. Um, but it's, the way that it actually comes out, the way it's actually done, the way that I would see Mormon couples get married on a whim, um, and then the way that they would interact. And I don't know if I've shared this story on the podcast. If I have, I apologize because it's going to get shared again. But I've told you before, like several times, when I was a missionary, I was in my final area. And after serving for, you know, 18 months, it was like the last six weeks of my mission, my last transfer, we went to dinner at this member's house. And we had been to a lot of members' homes. I had been in multiple areas, you know, seen different families. And the swooping majority of Mormon families that I was having dinner with were miserable. They were very unhappy. There was awkward tension. And you felt like you walked in on a fight, that a fight had just happened. Every single couple. Except for the Mormon couples who were very unconventional. So there was like two or three part member families where one person was less active or one person wasn't a member. And they were fine. Like their dinner at their house was like preferred. And we didn't even like convert the other member of their relationship. Um, It just like went better. Or there were these couples who this was their third or second marriage and they were in their 50s or 60s just a non-conventional couple, but all the Mormon conventional couples are miserable. And we're in the car leaving this one particular couple's house. And I said to my companion, and I said these words, direct quote, live on forever in infamy, sister blank, sister (laughs) insert name. If this is what I have to look forward to, I need to rethink my life. And she had <laughs> nothing to say. And this was a really good campaign. And my last campaign was a really cool, really cool cat. And like the next day, like she slept on it. She thought about it. The next day we talked about it and I wasn't alone. She felt really, really similar. And, um, you know, she had come from a great family and her parents were in love, but we did really find as a missionary and after the fact and a little bit before that people that were still holding to a certain type of Mormon love story that existed in the eighties and the nineties were the ones that were the most unhappy, like older couples that did that very traditional nineties Mormon, you know, the ones where he was like 22 returned missionary and she was 18. And they, you know, they met at BYU. They were like happy because they were, you know, they're boomers they are like middle aged above middle age now. Um, But the young people that are around our ages, I still think we're young. Um, Anybody under the age of 35 is young. And if you're 35, you're not even old. You're just like normal (laughs) age. But anybody, I guess, yeah, anybody above the age of 45 um, or younger than the age of 45, 
I would say that's still trying to do that Mormon traditional 90s, 80s, 70s love story thing. We're all really unhappy. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I feel like when an institution has a script for love, you're robbing couples of authenticity because all these like life events, these major, um, you know, memorable events in their lives have already been scripted for them. You know, you have, you know, marriage at the temple, boom, done. Like that's going to happen. It's already going to be a thing. Um, you know, it's just your child when they get baptized, like all these major events have already been scripted. Your child goes on his mission. You have that party. Like, I feel like they kind of have to live by the script. And obviously like, I feel like our, um, our marriage is like, is more authentic, way more, you know, there's more passion in it. What I've seen, um, because we're ourselves now and we're not having to live by the rules of like some other institution follow their guidelines. If not, we do our own thing. And I feel like that is incredible. And I'm not saying that all relationships or marriages in the church are phony or anything like they are authentic in their, in their own way. But I feel like they'll never be able to be, they'll never be their true selves because they're always having like this big brother looming over them. So that's, I guess my opinion or my take on it. No, that that's fair. And I do, I do agree with you. I think there are Mormon couples who are active LDS and who are happy together. It's just, I think my observation is that that is not the norm. Mm -hmm. They're rare. They're not a dime, you know, they're not a dime a dozen. It's quite the opposite. They're like pearls, you know, there's so many clams you bust (laughs) open. You find, you find the few pearls. Um, And then the unconventionalness of it all, because in real life, in reality, the story of how people get together is always just more interesting. I think like you were saying, like the script that people go by, that's not, that's not very exciting. Then they all have these God awful weddings that are cringy and it's terrible. (laughs) It's so bad. And it breaks my little heart. And I think that's part of conformity in the church being so important and then also like i've said to you um being a woman who did not fit the mormon stereotype and who did not want a conventional mormon relationship that was so hard that was so hard because like nobody would support me in my relationship dreams like ain't no mormon ever except for (laughs) cool converts would like mention their spouse as a partner like, they would never be like, that's my partner in life. That's not how it is. Like, not at all. They have the man with his crippling misogyny reigning over the family. And then she's, like, secretly super backhanded and mean to him, like, subtly because she's void of all power. It's awful. Um, but like I said, there are exceptions. But as a woman who wanted equity and who wanted equality, dating and just even having honest conversations with men was so difficult well like i don't know if you remember this and some viewers may or may not but there it's it's not a mormon message it was like way back in the 90s or 80s um i forget his name but he was the actor who was in um the dark knight he was two-faced two-faced the actor of two-faced aaron eckhart aaron eckhart there was a Mormon, like it was, I guess their version of what it was, like Mormon messages. And he was set to marry this other woman. 
and I think like he went on his mission and I guess like she was like repenting of things she had done talking to the state president or whatever and I guess she had what like sexual relations or something like in the past before she met him and she never repented of this and uh the state president or bishop was like yeah you can't get married and then like we were supposed to feel like yeah don't get married you messed up and I'm like what the hell um and then you know the guy he finds out and he's like no we're not gonna be together like he just like they just you know um part ways she better herself read the scriptures does her whole repent repentance process and it just kind of ends with them like meeting at a park or something and then you know our our seminary teacher was like what did you think of that how did that make you feel and all of us in the room were like what the hell was that that was you know fucking awful like why the teacher wanted us so hard to like to like you know make her feel like the villain and i'm like so she had sex before she met him whoop de do like why are we trying to you know you know villainize her for doing something that's normal um none of us could like you know make sense of that we're like no this so, like that was one of my first like moments where i was like yeah something is fucking off with this church <laughs> no it's so it's so <clears throat> grossly inappropriate as well as like we know now, right now that we're not Mormon anymore, the misogynistic implications of that whole Oof. video, um, because there always is this bizarre emphasis on the purity <laughs> of um, women, where I think for young men, they're just taught to like, well, lie. <laughs> but for women, it's just it's a whole it's a whole thing. My first day in the mission field to all the new little recruits, because that's what I'll call us. My mission president showed us a video very similar about this young guy. And it was like parallel, like sliding doors, where one version of his life, he repented and served a mission oh and had a successful mission. And then another version of his life, he didn't repent. And it like all went to squalor. And it was filmed with like a gray thing on the lens. So it was like dark and dingy for his like didn't repent life. And so all of us were like sweating bullets thinking of like, did I repent of that last very thing before I left? And it was so dumb. Like, even if all of us just had an orgy the night before, like, who the hell cares? Like, <laughs> this is so stupid and weird. But I literally remember, like, rushing through my mind, thinking about, like, did I repent about absolutely everything? And, like, mind you, this stuff I was doing at 19 was, like, absolutely nothing. Like, <laughs> in the grand scheme of reality, like, 19-year-olds, God in the church. So, so suppressed. Um, but there is this bizarre relationship expectation in the church of like, yeah, this gross little concept of pure purity that just makes me like, <laughs> just makes me like shudder. And I remember that video being referenced by one of my, that one of these elders that is like the core of so many stories that are awful. Bless his terrible little heart. He mentioned that video. And he was like, well, yeah, that guy's not obligated to be with her. She didn't keep her covenants. And I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> and like my non-member friends would hear this shit and they would be like, why do you need to apologize for anything you did before 
you met the person that you're with. Like, who the hell cares? <laughs> uh, question, 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 question. God cares. God really, God really cares if somebody was touching your boobies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I always thought it was such bullshit. If you didn't repent of like, oh no, you masturbated or watched whatever. <laughs> oh, the person you're you're talking to, like the investigator, is gonna be like, oh, you must have like done this without repenting. Like they would just know, and you wouldn't have power. I'm like, of course, if you lie to them, like good enough they'll fucking like listen to you like looking back now i'm just like god a lot of it was just like i don't know i guess if you feel if you trick yourself enough you know i'm sure you can trick others but (laughs) just ask joseph smith (laughs) that's in my opinion done one of the greatest pawn schemes of like all time oh i know the con man the legend the the pyramid scheme (laughs) for no goddamn reason I think that's totally, totally true. And I do agree with um, John Larson. He's an ex-Mormon if you're not on those spaces. So, you know, I'm referencing. Um, he did talk about that, like, if you were a part of a relationship when you're Mormon and then you're not when you're an ex-Mormon, you know, it doesn't work out. That is an opportunity to start over. Um, and I, th- I think that's fair, but also, I think there are plenty of people who make it work that are in part member families. There are plenty of people that leave together. There's all those types of situations. So there isn't just a one size fits all per se. I know that topic sort of came out of nowhere because we're <laughs> laughing about Aaron Eckhart videos because he did leave the church and we're proud of you, Aaron. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple, there's a lot of ex Mormon celebrities there's even some ex-mormon scientists too i didn't even know about i remember their names and i was like damn Gary, right? i could be wrong no not jim Carrey. there's so many mormon lies like there's so many but like there's a lot of random emma stone's family that also could be a mormon lie mm. amy <laughs> adams and then katherine heigl we could list them all off and they they like made it work with whatever relationships they were in they either not Mormon or half. That's fair. I think, like, another version of, like, I guess, like, something that's spoon-fed that, you know, like, we talk about romantic love, and I think, you know, the other kind of love that, you know, the church, like, wants you to have for everyone, you know, you have to love everyone. You don't have to like everyone, but you gotta love them. Um, and then, you know, you like, for instance, just, like, with, uh, like, with my parents, right, whenever they, they split or whatever, um, the church had no idea how to handle that situation they were just like well you have to keep loving your dad and forgive him and i was like yeah fuck that <laughs> says who <laughs> like the love that the church has scripted it just you i just don't think that's healthy um you know you have to love everyone even people that do you wrong and i'm like i don't think that's necessarily a true i i mean like I said, I have a great relationship with him, but, you know, I don't think, like, the church for the longest time, we were like, no, you gotta love him, you gotta learn to, you gotta learn to forgive him, and I'm like, no, I don't, that's, like, very toxic to believe that you have to forgive someone, like, life's too short to have people around that, like, just do you wrong or dirty, I don't, I don't think that's necessary, so the fact that the church likes to push this narrative on all aspects of romance and love, I think is just, you know, BS, it's not healthy for someone to, like, think that way. In my opinion. No, I I agree. I totally agree. We do have that forgiveness culture episode. So I go hard like I am now on the topic. (laughs) 
But it, you know what I did see, and this is a little, this is a little grim, so to make it funny, but it's on that very topic that you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. I saw lots of times throughout my entire life as a Mormon, ex-Mormon, young adult, kid, adolescent, the church was so into forgiveness of your toxic spouse, your toxic parent, unless that person left the church. Then it was like, yep. you know what, you're feel free to get divorced. Like, it was, <laughs> you know what, feel free to have a very big distance between you and your parent who's not Mormon anymore. And I would see that all the time. And they would word it in a really clever way. And it's going to be, everybody get ready to hear the term <laughs> that you haven't heard in years. They broke their covenants. <laughs> but they would be willing to be like, yeah, work it out if they had broken their actual contract of marriage, like cheating or something. Or like, I don't know having some huge tor- terrible double life where they, they own separate property, didn't tell you, whatever the fuck, where they broke the contract of your actual, you know, marriage, because yeah. it is a legal binding document, they would, the church would come up with reasons to like get past that. But if this person broke church rules, because what the hell is a covenant? It's a contract or it's not. The word covenant is ruined by the church. <laughs> so many words are, that's one of them. It was just wild. Like if if someone broke their church covenants, then there would be this like, let's open the door to divorce. But if someone was like, you know what? He's a faithful serving member of the church. Yeah, I know he's cheated on you a bazillion times, but he pays his tithing. He doesn't drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) He's not watching pornography. Then I think that you can make it work. And it's so, 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 so sad Um, And I knew personal families where that was the scenario where the wife would be faithful in every way for like over a decade to her husband who was a wealthy member of the church who did have multiple affairs on her. And then finally, after like 18 years of marriage or longer, um, he was just like, you know what? I know you keep forgiving me, but I don't even want to be with you. And so then finally he actually ended the, the marriage and he was like, I don't even want to be Mormon anymore. Like, I don't want to do any of this anymore. Um, and that obviously I'm not using names or anything, but whoever's listening to this, you probably know five or six people that had a scenario very similar because it does happen in the church more often than once. So really, really terrible. But yeah, the, the forgiveness culture is like definitely if the person's Mormon. Exactly. <laughs> if they're not, they're like, I mean, love them, but in like this harmful Christian way. <laughs> well, or we say they're going to burn in hell or the outer darkness. Or whatever. It's like, you know, they can, they can cheat on you. They can you know, like falsify stuff. The church is like, love them. But as soon as they like get excommunicated or leave the church, it's like, yep fuck them like <laughs> i i knew this member and like i really hated it but you know i feel like when i was a missionary um we were sent to go investigate this uh this gentleman who had who was excommunicated uh he was an ex-missionary he like literally gave everything for the church like almost 23 24 five years of devote service um, but he comes back from the mission, has sex, and has a child, but they weren't married. I guess at the time, uh, Argentina was like, at least the church over there was very, very strict on like any kind of sexual sin. So he was excommunicated, um, and I felt like it was very extreme, and he felt very betrayed. Well, years passed. His kid is about to become eight, and the church was like, hey, like, like, don't worry about him because he's already, he's already trash. But his <laughs> wife, who's like, 
who oh his wife was not a member i remember it was a part member family his wife wasn't a member and the kid was about to turn eight and so they're like hey there's potential for baptism and i'm like so you want us to go after what eight years of you guys turning your back on him literally you guys grew up with him he was a son to to many of you but now because he has a child that's about to turn eight and he has a wife that you guys know who's not a member now we gotta shower them with love not everyone just those two not the dad the dad can go fuck himself still but those two we need to shower them with love and i'm like do you know how awful that looks and as a missionary you know, I had to try and rationalize it because something in the, in the back of my mind, I was hoping that he wouldn't let us in. I was hoping that he wouldn't let us baptize them. And he didn't because he he knows what the church is capable of. And I was happy. Like the church, the bishop was like pushing for us to visit him, dinners, all this stuff. And we did have all that, but we would never push the agenda of baptism. We tried once. It didn't go well. He was, he was going to cut us off and we're like, you know what, we, we're sorry. We're not going to do it again. And we had a great relationship with him and his, you know, wife and child. But I, I felt like if we try to push that narrative of like baptism and like shower them with all this love and kindness, but honestly, it was just for to baptize them. I mean, it was just it was it honestly felt like a huge facade. And I was like, no, that's that's fucking awful. Like, love them or you don't. Like, if if you only love them enough, if you only if your love only extends to like you know them being a member of your church. But as soon as they leave, you know, it's like, oh, you're dead to me. Then there was really no relationship to begin with. And I felt like that that was, you know, really dirty on the church side. I agree, because then it really isn't love. It really isn't. And that does remind <clears throat> me of another kind of part of the topic I wanted to bring up. Something that segues really well is just this idea that in any relationship, but especially a romantic relationship, the church is first. The church comes first above that other person and like all the examples of that. There's so many of one in mind, but um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Having the church come first before your own partner in life? You know, I always thought that was weird because it's like I am marrying someone who I love who I want to be with for the rest of my life, you know, for eternity or whatever, whatever, whoever, whatever they all believe in. But I always felt like I could never have that authentic relationship if I had to put something in front of my partner. It never felt real because then it was like, cool, like, I love you, but if I became a bishop or whatever or something in a stake, then I would have to give them all my time and attention on top of working or whatever. And then I'm like... When am I supposed to have time with my wife? When am I supposed to have time with my partner? Um, so I, I, I guess like I always figure like there was always like I feel like love in the church has limitations, like preexistent limitations. And I always felt like that was awful because like I would see these families of like eight kids and the dad's like, I don't know, some, something in the state presidency. And like the kids were kind of, you know, they – the dad was never home. Like, I remember one of my friends was like, yeah, I see my dad for like maybe 30 minutes a day. Then he goes back to work. He goes to church. He has to do all this stuff. And he said, honestly, like I, he, I asked him, when was the last time you guys actually talked? And he was like, I honestly couldn't tell you maybe on my birthday because he had to be there, you know, but he still had to leave to go do some interviews. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that is not a relationship. Like, if you're going to devote your whole life to this institution, go marry that. <laughs> Don't rob them of a father. 
that's that's what they want and they want the kid part because the children grow up to be future future tithe payers like you were saying about like the ward setting couples up i mean it's it's why the church has singles wards because then you find someone and then have children who are just little dollar signs because they grow up and pay tithing um and that's part of it because so many bishops and stake presidents all the ones that i knew were men that were close to retirement were not retired but they had full-time jobs and so they're working like a 40-hour work week their wives were stay-at-home parents managing the home and the children without help because whenever he would be home he wasn't home he's doing church stuff so exactly what you're describing so it comes it comes first it comes forward i had a guy who i should have brought up in the mormon dating horror stories who said to my face i need to be with a woman who will support me in my callings and my response was obviously whatever you imagine it would be knowing my personality so he and i didn't work out um at all but that was like a prerequisite it was just weird like there's no part of i think the toxicity of mormon relationships as well is the option for singleness is eliminated mm-hmm. and i don't know if you remember this but it was a few years ago at general conference it was a woman who spoke and i don't remember her name because they don't really have names we know this i'm my heavenly mother <laughs> <laughs> i don't really have names um she gave a talk and it was like harrowing and sad and she mentioned a personal friend of hers and this personal friend of hers has been married like three times and she's been a faithful active lds member the whole time she lives in utah and every single one of her husbands was terrible every single one of her marriages Mm -hmm. ended in tragedy and betrayal every single one they're just like these trash guys that would cheat on her do whatever the else and she would always like be devastated and go to the temple and cry and pray as anyone would. And then she said like, what am I doing wrong? And the point of the woman's talk was like nothing like life just happens like that or whatever the hell. And now like looking back, I'm like, you're not doing anything wrong. You're in the wrong church. Like just be single. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like Maybe just be single for a couple of years, but that isn't even an option on the table. You're always supposed to want a relationship, even if you as an individual, what's healthiest for you is to probably take a break from that for a period of time, an indefinite period of time. I'm be single for the rest of your life, but being in a relationship doesn't equal happiness, especially if you're with the wrong person. You're with somebody that's going to pick the church over you. It sucks. <laughs> like, God. I mean, if, if every week, every Sunday, every activity I was being asked, when are you going to get married? Who are you dating? You know, what's your life? What's your love? Like, you know, your relationships going on right now. You have any friends that you're talking to? I was being hounded like that every week or almost every other day. I would just date someone to date someone just to get them off my back. You know, I, I wouldn't, I feel like maybe I, I know a few people that got married just to get married so that they could get, you know, their parents off their backs. Um, the relationship was awful, but honestly, the guilt and shame that they would get day to day from their parents, their members, people they so-called family was so awful that it was just better to get married and just fucking deal with it because that was way better than being, you know, called a failure, you know, every day by every member, people who are supposed to be your family, uh, 
are ridiculing you, judging you, talking behind your back. Like it is insane the extent the church goes to force relationships, to force marriages, uh, to force people who, like I know a few families, again, never going to mention their names, who had children because that was the expectation. That was that was a, that was scripted for them already. You're going to have a child, and they're going to be a tithe pair, and be ex missionaries, missionaries, whatever. Um, and they were parents who were not ready or should have had children because that child, you know, that they grew up horribly. They had they went through a lot of bad stuff as kids. Like those parents should not have had kids because they really did not want to have kids. So I feel bad for you know when families have to go through that because the church is pushing this narrative on you at all times and i feel like love is like you know it's supposed to be the most unique thing in your life the thing that has the most passion in my opinion um and just to have that robbed is ridiculous so i don't know that's that's the way i how i feel about it i do too it makes me really really upset and A couple years ago, speaking on that, there was this um, cultural difference chart where different people in different parts of the world had a rank, like, the most important thing in life. And people that were from East Asia, their values, like, the top three, love wasn't in it. It was, like, top five, but not top three. It was, like, family, work, and then something else. Mm. I don't remember what it was, but it was something along those lines. And then in the West, love was number one, and then the other two. So these value systems were pretty similar when you looked at top 10 or top five, but the very tippy top was different for different people. And what's (laughs) a cultural universal is that the church will rob you of both of those things. (laughs) So so if love isn't your number one priority in your culture – it's going to be work, right? Well, you're going to take time away from your job because the church is going to be your job. You will leave your job if you're called to be a mission president. That happens to people. You will quit your job of being a Supreme Court justice for the state of Idaho to be at Area 70. That really happened to somebody. Look it up. You will live in, <laughs> you will you will do sacrifices to your actual career that you could love or you have sacrifices for romantic love like you just mentioned. Um And the church does not care. And then another thing, another big value is family cross-cultural and the church can rob you of that too, whether it's time, whether it's economically, because you're paying tithing, so you can't afford fertility treatments or adoption, or just frankly, the economic cost of having an additional child. Like those are the times that we live in now And I think that the church's mentality is still really wanting to like ride that seahorse of the nineties and the (laughs) eighties of the surplus that Christianity had over the world. And when Mormons were really just like, I don't know, thriving, having a bazillion kids, getting married as soon as possible. And that's not the case anymore. More and more people our age are choosing to be single or choosing not to have children. Or if they do, they have less than they maybe wanted when they were younger and the church like cannot grasp those two things and a relationship centered on not each other is wild, but that's what the church wants. The church wants it to be at the point like, Oh my God, do you remember the triangle drawings? (laughs) They'd be like, this is you, this is your spouse. And then at the top of the triangle is God. 
And when you draw closer together, you draw closer to God. But, but you know, you know, you know, if the church, which is God, they're all the same, right? Church, Jesus, God, same person, prophet, all one homogenous circle. If the church asks you to spend time away from your spouse, well, that's God. So you, so you have to, like, it just sucked. (laughs) The triangle wasn't even true. The triangle wasn't true. You can't, the church would take away from people's marriages. (laughs) The church would be like, can you imagine like, you know, your wife has this great, amazing job, loves her house, loves everything about her life. Like you're called to be a mission president in Jesus East of nowhere. Leave it all behind. Like that's what happens to couples all the damn time. Oh, that's awful. Like, I can't, I can't imagine, of, you know, trying to rob someone of like, you know, their life achievements, their, like, they're just like what they, their life essentially. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't like that at all. I, I met a lot of wonderful people in Argentina who um, were all return missionaries who, you know, like, it was really weird. You had some that got married instantly and you had some who didn't. And a few of them, surprisingly, a lot of them went inactive pretty fast. And we would talk to them, but I, I really wish I would have listened to them a lot sooner. Um, a lot of them said, like, you know, yeah, I felt like I've been robbed of two years of, of happiness, two years of, you know, of my life, and I'll never get that back. And I never understood that. I was like, well, you're on your mission. That's awesome. What more would you have wanted? And they were, they looked sad. Um, I've, I've talked with a few, I actually, uh, talked with, a, a friend of mine who I met on the mission. Um, I think she had returned from a mission not that long ago. And I saw that she would post all these things on Facebook about like, you know, like what the church isn't telling people how, you know, just like woke stuff about, you know, you know, just how bad the church is. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is awesome. And so I think I, I messaged her not that long ago. And uh, she was telling me, like, her experience that, you know, her experience that I didn't get to see because I was a missionary. You know, all these things that were happening to her, and I had no idea. I was, like, none the wiser. Uh, A lot of us weren't. And, you know, she sees now that a lot of the church, a lot of what they do, a lot of what they say is, you know, just baloney BS. And And, again, they, like, a lot of these people feel robbed of things. And I'm just like, I can't. Like, I knew, I think we had uh, senior couples on their mission. Like, I mean, they did a great job, but I felt like they just needed to be home and retire. Like, why are you working so hard at the age of, like, 77, 76? Like, they even said, yeah, when we're done with this, hopefully we, they even told me, I hope we can at least, like, be, like, we can go to our vacation home for at least a few months and we're going to go back out to do something. And I'm just like, God, no, like, go, go relax, enjoy the rest of your life away from work. And in a sense, meaningless work, because what does the mission amount to? Nothing. Just a bunch of trauma and regret. Yeah, pyramid scheme. That's what it is. It literally, it's it's a pyramid scheme. Get like, <laughs> yeah, literally, get out, get out of the second place. Um, but it's so, it really does devastate me and i know currently the church right now as of the last general conference is really pushing for senior missionaries to you know exploit further right because they've already given their lifetime it makes me really really angry and that's one of the many many reasons that i do the podcast is because 
my proximity to the trauma of the church is so it is trauma to me it's not just a church it's a cult to me it's an abusive cult it isn't just a church like it's not and also like just with the power of language just getting this out there for listeners there's certain phrases and expressions that I don't use because they're not therapeutically helpful if you have experienced trauma so the term like getting over it is relevant for like you know, you, they got your food wrong at a restaurant or like kind of a bad relationship or, you know, you got an offender bender. That's something you can get over. But if you have a very, very traumatic experience or multiple, getting over it is not a concept. You adapt to the trauma that you have experienced. Um, just like grief, you don't get over the loss of someone that you love. You just adapt to that loss and you become a stronger person. Um, like it's just a, it's a whole, 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 whole thing. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about how like romantic expression and actual relationships in reality are. So I'm going to tell a story, (laughs) but it's a little story and it does kind of ruin the plot of a movie. So if you don't want this movie plot to be ruined, then go ahead and jump like three minutes. But the movie is called Partition and it's not the best movie. Okay. It's not the best budget. Okay, but the concept was beautiful. Concept was beautiful. And I saw it as an adolescent. I saw it when I was deeply, deeply devout into like Old Testament type of stuff and Judeo-Christian faiths that were not Mormon. So this is at one of the points where I could have left the church for different reasons. Because whatever, all paths lead to the north. All paths get you out. (laughs) Whether you go like really hard into Jesus and you're like, God, this church is nothing like him. Or you go hard into the Bible and you're like, God, this church is nothing like it. Or you do another option. Other. There's plethora. So this film is called Partition. And it is about the partition of India and Pakistan which was a horrific global event. Millions upon millions of people died. And so a little history lesson to us for the movie. So summary, cannot do this historical event justice. Google it, Wikipedia. Um, or just ask real good sources, <laughs> not those. Um, I mean, Google can lead you. But what happened was within a very short amount of time, the British were pulled. I mean, they were there forever for way too long, sorry, not forever, for too long. When the British pulled out of the India territory, the subcontinent, they were like, well, when we leave, we're going to tear this place up and we're going to separate this whole subcontinent into different countries. And so they said, everybody that's Muslim, get to Pakistan, go to the east, um, go to the west. Everybody that can't make it that far, you're going to go to Bangladesh, you're going to go down here. And then everybody that's Hindu and Sikh and Buddhist and the others, You'll just be in the big part of India. Our bad. Bye. Ugh. And a map was drawn out by a man that had actually never been there. So I don't know what he was. I don't know. He just closed his eyes. and drew. We don't know. I don't know. So tensions got crazy. And during this partition, during this separation, people had to up and leave, totally pack. Everybody that was in the West section that was not, you know, Muslim had to hit the high road. Everybody that was Sikh or all those other faiths had to move. It was terrible. And it went bad and violence occurred um, on both sides. It was terrible. And um, in the movie, there's a man who is Sikh who falls in love with a beautiful Muslim woman. And um, he rescues her during a, during a a huge violent eruption um, when partition is happening and she was left for dead. She was separated from her family, left for dead. And he like nurses her back to health and keeps her safe. Um, And this whole process of her finding her family in Pakistan through the power of paperwork because bureaucracy. And this is in like the forties. You didn't have 
computers, paperwork, letters. It was all very slow. So she's with him for this long period of time. They fall in love. Thanks for listening this far, everybody. And in the story, she does not change her faith and he does not change his faith. He's a Sikh man. She's a Muslim woman. And they have a child together and he's adorable. And then finally, they're able to track down her family. And she's like, I'm going to go on this trip. I'm going to go visit my family. Because I haven't seen them in like freaking two, three years. And I'll be back in like three weeks. Love you. Bye. And the way that the countries were set up is that you could not cross into the other country if you were not a member of that faith. So like you couldn't make it into Pakistan if you were not Muslim. You couldn't make it into India, back into India if you were not. It was, it was a rough deal. Well, she goes there, her family finds out the truth, and they're like, you married a who? A what now? You're never leaving. So they literally kidnap her. It's terrible. Um, and so this man, with his son, waits for her for months, and then he realizes, okay, they probably kidnapped my wife, and I have to do it. I have to go get her. And he cuts off his hair. He changes his name. He converts to be Muslim, and his little son, too. And they go together to go get his wife. And it makes me emotional because it's such a beautiful thing to do. And at that time I was very devout. And so I put myself in his shoes and I imagined, and I was like, I'm like 14. Okay. I'd never been in love. I don't know. But the concept was beautiful. And I remember explaining this film that had a huge impact on me. Um, kindled my heart. It should be remade with a bitter, bigger budget. And I was explaining this to a young women's leader and the look on her face was just like blank. Like, what now? And <clears throat> some young women's leader made the remark, because I could feel it coming, of, well, neither of those faiths are true anyway. And they'll all be Mormon in the next life, or something that was offensive and stupid. And I could just tell, I was like, I don't think Mormons get this, like get this, what I'm describing, like what this fictional man in this film <laughs> had to do to save his family, like what he was willing to do. Ah, and it really made me think like the Mormon superiority complex obviously came through with that story, but also what does faith mean to them? What does spirituality mean to them? Because it's not what it means to everybody else. Because <laughs> it's not like, would you, like, I didn't want to ask any of these more. I did. I did ask my parents. <laughs> I said, I explained the movie. So would you give up your faith? And my parents like, yeah, like, yeah, I would go do that. God, what? That's an awful story. I'm sad that happened. <laughs> like, my, I literally asked my parents, like, would you go, go do that? Like, would you go rescue mom and like convert? He's like, yeah, like, but <laughs> you know, later. yeah, of course I would. But my parents were converts and they've left. So it was, they were a different vibe in general. But I think now for Mormons and for part member families, first off, being an apart member family is a just a grand gesture of romantic love. Pretty, pretty serious. But also I think as a Mormon, like the most romantic thing you could ever say to somebody is that they're everything to you. You know what I mean? Like they're your, they're everything you'd, because the church is the center of your freaking life. More than your spirituality, it's your whole life, your world. It's awful. No, that's true. Like I could only imagine if you were like, say, okay, say like, say you're, uh, I don't know, like your partner is going through something horrible. 
and like you know i i think i heard about those like experience once but i, I don't remember the whole story but i remember like the, the there was a gentleman who had a high calling in the church and his partner was going through something horrible she was having she was gonna have to leave the country go somewhere else and he told her i would you know i would leave my calling and everything and she was like no no you can't leave your calling it's, it's too important it's more important than whatever i'm going through so i'm like that sounds awful um like no i would if 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 the church was in the way of me being there for my partner, you know, the hell with it. Like it, I, and again, that's my, my, the way I see it. Church is just something that's here for right now. Um, I would, like I said, if I could move to, if I had to move to a different country or whatever, I would. So the fact that, you know, even she was like too scared for him to even leave his calling, even though it was, it was literally life or death for her is awful. Like, <laughs> Is that love? I don't know. It's it's just, for me, it's sickening, like, hearing that, like, you have to learn, like, the church wants you to learn love, but it, it, as long as, like, the center of it is the church, your partner comes back in, your partner is just there. So the fact that these, like, women that you were telling did not get, like, the point of the story, like, what the husband was willing to do, like, the love and devotion he has for her, like, is baffling, because it was not, it wasn't tied around their church. You know, it makes no sense. If you swap the religions who are like, oh, he had to convert to be a Mormon. They're like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome. And I'm like, no, but because it's a different faith, like, well, it doesn't matter. He just wasted his time. And I'm like, that's fucking awful. Yeah, basically that's, they just, they couldn't relate. And also, I mean, we, we bring it up every time. I'm sure there was a tinge of the racism. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to hear a story about two people from South Asia. Um well, their characters were. The actors were actually from Nimrod. Anyways, just watch the movie if this has intrigued you enough. <laughs> I don't know where you could find it. I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> this is like 10 years ago and you could just find movies in pieces. Um, but they they couldn't click with that. They couldn't relate to that. They couldn't imagine that. When you look like you're going to say something. <laughs> no, <I was> <laughs> you're just like, just do a little laughing face. Like, <laughs> it was just so awful. And it just... And I mean, you do hear stories and it always is kind of heartbreaking, but I think we've all met people who have converted for someone else that fell in love with the Mormon and was like, if this is what I got to do, then I also did hear a really, really harrowing story in the ex-Mormon community of a gentleman who converted basically to get his girlfriend out. Um, And it worked. I mean, slowly through the power of planting seeds and then her watching him go through a conversion and then go in reverse, like wheel back was super eye opening for her. And then she also saw how he was treated because the love bombing stops when you get baptized. Um, and so I have heard stories like that and you can find them in the ex Mormon community. They're out there, out there. <laughs> Every scenario is out there. <laughs> you can think it. There's an ex Mormon who's like, I've lived it. So I don't know any thoughts on that. You know, I think um, a lot of these like are things I witnessed as a missionary, and you know, I would, you know, it's parts of me that wish you could go back and just like leave as soon as like the <laughs> no, first like right. red flag came up. <laughs> it's just like being like, "Yep, fuck this, I'm out, get me out of here." Well, there was this, there was this woman that we baptized. She only got baptized because she needed food, clothes for her child, and she knew that if she got baptized she would get at least one of those things. Um, 
And I knew in my, I knew, me and my companion knew in my heart that that's what she really needed. But because you're pressured to baptize, I was kind of like, maybe we will just baptize you so you can get this stuff for your newborn child. You know, with the deadbeat dad who already left. Um, so she got baptized and she was actually starting to believe this because she saw how friendly the members were. Well, guess what happens? She gets married. Uh, they find out that she had sex with one of the young, well, not young men, sorry. Well, he was, he was like a young single adult. Um, they find that out and boom, the love stopped right there within like maybe a week or two after she got baptized. This little rumor, whatever got out and they stopped loving her. Stop giving her attention, everything. Just drop her cold turkey. And she was like, yep, yeah, no. She wanted nothing to do with the church. Because for her, like, she was like, cool, I'm finally going to be a part of something. Nope, psych, you get nothing. Because you slipped up in their eyes. And, you know, I, I'm glad she got help. I'm glad she got assistance. But she also noticed as soon as she, like, did that one slip up, she got another thing. And she left. And I'm like, I don't blame her. Like, in this, I would, again, she was doing whatever she could for her child. And I, you know, and, you know, like, of course, like, if, if I was in that state and I needed, you know, provisions for my family, I would join some religion if it meant I could get them food so they could eat, um, some kind of assistance. But like I said, like, she was starting to believe it and they turned their backs on her. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's love right there, you know? Clearly, the church has a good definition of it. I agree. And there's so many. Um, there's a woman on Mormon Stories a hot <clears throat> while ago. I'm kind of misquoting it. But she said her most positive experiences with the Mormon church were all before she was baptized. Something like that. And I think that is so many people's experiences. And it's it's awful every time that it happens it's it's a huge letdown and then when you're in the church when you're raised in the church everything is so normal but i mean i mentioned it before it kind of goes without saying i didn't have some great wonderful experience in the church it was okay and then at times it was bad like it wasn't and I know that's oh God. <laughs> it's 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 also one of the umpteenth reasons why I do the podcast is because so many ex Mormons have a very similar experience. And then I was like, sorry, I'm, I'm your outlier. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't have that, and so I wanted to feel and see myself represent well here because you don't have visuals. I wanted to hear <laughs> sort of representation for people who were like. This has been great the whole time. Like, I'm a legally disabled indigenous woman. Like, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't in the cards for me to have a great time. Like, it just wasn't, mm, no, no, no. Like, just was not, was not there. And it, ugh. I also feel like with that story that you shared, and we'll think on this, because I don't have facts for this. Do you feel, ponder on this, ponder and pray on it, actually. Sorry, <laughs> ponder and pray on this. Do you wonder as I do, if sometimes members of the church look for an excuse to stop loving someone. Think on it, mm. listeners. ASMR whisper into the, <laughs> to the mic, my heavy breathing. Um, I really try to work on that. But I feel like that sometimes. Like they need you to really mess up. So then they're like, well, I have to withdraw. Because when we used to have to outreach less actives, 
I would hope, like, please don't answer the door. Like, please get your records removed. Like, don't inconvenience me with trying to reactivate you, mm-hmm. which is also probably a sheer sign. I definitely needed to leave the church. Um, but I wonder, like, is there other reasons we look for? And also, she was a woman, so it's she's expendable. Oh. Women are, I mean, that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. Just tune in later for the <laughs> the way people are replaced in the church is wild. But especially if you're a woman, you're you're utterly replaceable. Well, I mean, was isn't it like a commandment in the Mormon church to love everyone? But their version of love is Christian. Yeah. Hate. <laughs> so I, I guess like they have to find some excuse because like you know like I said I I feel like a lot of members in the church don't actually love each other they just say it so like whenever someone slips up it's like oh perfect an excuse for me to be able to like you know rag on them or whatever I think I think they try to make excuses and like again the perfect excuse is when you leave the church or are or are excommunicated. That is like the windows have opened, the doors are, you know, everything like the shot, the sun is shining for them. Now they can rip you to shreds, <laughs> and it is okay because there is validation for that. Because oh, they're no longer a part of the church. We can fucking tear into them. It's not like we knew them our whole life, and I've seen that many a time. I know, right? And I'm just like, what a bunch of monsters! Like you guys hate gossiping about other members, even though they still do it. But as soon as something like again. If the members from my home ward find out that me and you or you and I have left the church, oh, it, they are going to, like, gossip their ass off, like, of everything. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, I always knew it. I, he was the bat, he was the black sheep. It was just a matter of time. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, keep going. Did we get you off? No, you're good. It was, it's just, like, I feel like, because I do have members that, I feel like genuinely would love me no matter what, but there are some, oh, I know who they are. And if they're ever listening, you know who you are too. They are just waiting for the moment for me or someone else that I know to slip up. And then it's all, all it's perfect. Like that's just what they needed. So yeah, I feel like they just wait, you know, patiently for you to fuck up. <laughs> it's true. And you know what's sad? And I'll make it funny again. There are some people that I really thought would love me forever, and they don't now that I've left. And that is sad. I was like, not you. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> and they, they had forgiven really bad people, and I'm like, I haven't even done anything wrong. Mm, it's super sad, but that is kind of a letdown. But I do believe that nobody from my mission is surprised. I think even my converts are like, you know what, she was too cool. They'd say stuff like that. Like, you're pretty cool for a missionary. Not that I was, like, breaking rules or anything, but this personality, the way that I am on this podcast, is how I am all the day, all the damn time. So <laughs> if, if they liked the vibe, like, that isn't what it was. They liked my overall vibe as a person. And so they would say, they would point that out. Like, well, a lot of you missionaries from California are more extroverted or more cool or whatever. They'd come up with reasons, but I think it was just... Um, I don't know. My cult persona wasn't as strong mm-hmm. per se. I mean, we all had one obviously to survive, yeah. but I don't think any. I don't think any of my companions. Okay, the ones I'm close to still like we're all out. Basically, <laughs> we're all out or like loosely affiliated. But um, <clears throat> the other companions are just district leaders that I knew. Um, you know, we never went to any reunions. I don't think those people are. I don't think they're surprised at at all. Um. I'd love to go back to my mission. I think my, I think my mission reunion 
supposed to be like next year. I want to go with my because I have one tattoo right now. Hopefully, I can get my whole <laughs> go there with my sleeved up tattoos and be like, "What's up, guys? I'm no longer a member. Peace out." Like, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, there are two ex missionaries from my mission who are no longer members, and they're both converts. Um, those are the only converts that I knew on my like at in or my missionary group that were you know on my mission or whatever, both of them have left the church shortly after coming back from their missions. And I felt like the brainwashing didn't work for them. All the other members who grew up in Utah, Idaho, whatever, they're still members. They're still devout. Um, but the converts, I guess like, and they were baptized very shortly before they left on their missions. So I guess they, again, they were probably pressured into going and I'm glad some of them, I'm glad they left. One of them was like this very well, like very talented um, violinist, and he again he could, I mean he could play literally. I mean you could feel what he was playing. He was incredible. The man was is super talented, and he was a AP, so he left shortly after, and everyone was shocked because they're like, but but this elder, I could feel the love coming out of his instrument. There's no way he would have left. And I'm like, yes, he did, because he fucking woke up and he realized this is all <laughs> fucking crazy. He left on his mission when he was like 25. I think they they made the exception. I heard he was able to play in the MTC. So at first they weren't gonna let him take his violin. Like they told him no. Like the violin was his passion. The man is extremely talented. He played in front of President Nelson because he came to the MTC and he said, you know what, you take that instrument with you. And he played it. He played it for him, he played it for all the other uh um apostles that came um and the man was super talented i also was like oh yeah this man would never leave uh turns out he did and i was like dude i really i so badly want to reach out to him and tell him um that i'm really happy for him but i don't know like i feel like it'd be just too <laughs> weird I, I might reach out to him just be like hey man i just want you know like i'm I heard this happen. I, 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 you know what? It'd be super embarrassing if like it wasn't true. Then they'd be like, "Oh shit!" I guess I. I guess That's awkward. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. I'm an experiment. I go on a podcast. That's fair. I, I have done it a couple times. Um, I really would like to get an LGBTQ plus woman on, um, and I have reached out to some women from my mission and some friends. And you know what? Talking about their horrors is hard. Not everybody, not everybody needs that type of narrative. I find this therapeutic. Not everybody does. Um, so even speaking out about your experience is hard, and it's not necessary for everybody. It's necessary for me, but it's not necessary for everybody. Um, but in our last final moments, let's see. Want to do a two-parter? I don't know. We could, or maybe like uh, transition to another topic. You that's know. that's fair but, I'll, but we're at the one hour now okay yeah so we'll we'll wrap this part up and then this it's a little window into yeah. married life of heavenly mother who is married to <laughs> a mortal to the brother of jared well i was exalted so technically, like, <laughs> <laughs> technically is it not the same i guess <laughs> could you imagine someone fanfic comic that a man gets exalted and he's like yo god's been a misogynistic pig this whole time i was a real one on earth i see you girl i'm just like but i was sort of your spiritual mother and he's like we're all spiritual siblings it's less weird if you don't think about it um that wow that took such a turn but yeah well yeah we'll probably do it apart but we'll wrap this part up um, but just expectations versus reality and my my final thoughts, I definitely feel like 
the reality of relationships outside of the church are so much better yeah. because you can actually get your priorities in line. Like for real, like if love is your priority, if family is your priority, if work is your priority, if I don't know, having a legacy is a priority, you can really focus and, and do those things and all that intellectual effort and mental effort and physical effort, my God, that you put into the church, you can put into whatever you want. Like, Sundays for us are whatever we want them to be, whatever we want to do. It's like another Saturday. It's super nice. <laughs> like if it's cold and rainy, we just like cuddle and sleep all day and watch movies. Like you can do whatever you want to. And then also like there is a void that is there at first, but I definitely feel like as time has gone on, because I've been an ex more for over a year, I definitely feel like that void gets way better and now that we have you know more supports that are not affiliated with the church i mean as more people leave too that's been a huge improvement um but i have the opportunity as an ex-mormon now to like i don't have anything in the way of our relationship like that can be my biggest priority instead of I don't know, serving a faceless, misogynistic, racist God. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I guess he did have a face because sometimes you draw him or see him in the temple. I don't know. It was weird. Very white. Yeah. God, the way that I feel about white men, it's just, it's a, we don't need to go down that road. We've been on that road. It's, it's well paved. Um, But I definitely think that I remember when the pandemic was ending and church was being introduced back into our relationship. And I had said to you, and I said, we don't have this. This is a huge change. Because we were like, the pandemic was really hard, but you and I were happy as clams. Like, our relationship yeah. was fine. The world was falling apart, and it was horrible, and we'd cry and stuff. Because pan- pandemic days together were, like, months together. <laughs> like, <laughs> the time we were actually together. It's like dog years. Like, it was so much longer because we had nobody else but each other. Like, we are going to get along or not. Like, yeah. there was kind of no... <laughs> This was the greatest compatibility test of all. Um, And we lived together too. But when church was coming up, I did say to you, we haven't had this in a relationship. And I'm afraid that it's going to be a point of conflict because it's a huge change. And of course, now that we had big fights or anything, it was. Because I don't want to do something super Mormon. And you're like, I'm not feeling it. Like we haven't done scripture study we haven't done two-hour church we haven't done going out with the missionaries we haven't done any of those things for like over a year yeah and bringing it up like i i don't like it and i think for my entire family and for so many members um which i released you know pandemic failure so many members just having that break from the brainwashing having that (laughs) break from church really made people wake up and realize and yeah sure enough the church was a point of conflict i'd be like we need to do family home evening we need to do we need to go to church on sunday and you're like i literally don't want to and you know what i don't want to either but i felt like i had to and that was the point that literally caused conflict because i was like i feel like i have to well because simple marriage was scripted in our love story so we had to so we had to bend over backwards sell whatever you have to sell, do whatever you have to do to make sure you get, you know, sealed in the temple. Even if you guys didn't want to do that, not that you guys didn't love each other, but like if you like, you're being forced to do so many things that you sacrifice so many things for this scripted moment in your life. When I'm like, no, you're robbing me of this authenticity of these wonderful moments I could have with my partner just so I could what 
live out, you know, some whatever fantasy that the church has for me. No. I feel like life is too short to love something that doesn't love you back. And that is, that's been my whole experience with the Mormon church. Um, their idea of love is like just something out of like a really bad book or a bad movie. It, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth when I hear uh, members describe love and it just feels like, you know, like you're just lying to yourself about what you think it is. Um, so I, like looking back now, like I'm very happy with the decisions that we made um, to leave the church. Um, like, I feel like there was, there was times when, yeah, like us having to go full throttle with the Mormon religion uh, became a point of uh, conflict because I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, like, I felt like I had to do it, but I'd like in, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, I have to do this because I have to live out this scripted moment. But now I feel like I, I'm excited about, you know, what's to come in our life that, you know, I'm happy that there's nothing looming over us, you know, telling us what to do. We can do what we want for ourselves. And I think like, that's something that I wish I, if, you know, I could have had sooner, you know, I wish we could have left sooner, but you know, Hey, all things considered, like, I love where we're at right now. I love my life with you. So like I said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> Same, and it's how we met. And then we didn't have that conflict, and then I read that book by Steve Hassan, and I was totally out. <laughs> and then and then it was weird because you were, yeah, the actions were still hard for you, but mentally, you know, and, uh, if you've heard the Brother of Jared's episode in the past, then you know how that story unfolds. But <laughs> What was the name of the book again? Oh, yes. A a plug for this book, please. I mean, he is our Lord and our Savior. I'm kidding. He's not. He's just a a man with a wonderful life passion. Um, I hope to be like him one day. Dr. Steve, Stephen Hassan, spelled H-A-S-S-A-N. His first name is Stephen. And his book is called Combating Cult Mind Control. That's the first one. And then the second one that's really helpful is called Freedom of Mind. And reading those in that order. So Combating Cult Mind Control really helps you realize that you were in a cult. Um, if you, if you do identify that way or feel that you were, cause like I said, my proximity to trauma is a certain way. That's why I'm mad as hell at the church. It will always be, but I just use my anger to do things. Anyways, I'm like in the inside out, you know, the little, <laughs> the little emotions, my little red guy is the one in charge or it's the green girl that's disgusted. I don't know. But, and then they, my emotions collaborate very well with each other. But Steve Hassan, that book, Combating Cult Mind Control was such a game changer for me. And it was the final piece that I needed to like get the hell out. And then later on, like a months, months, months later, I read Freedom of Mind, also by Dr. Steve Hassan. I also read Take Back Your Life by Yanya Lalich and um, Madeline Tobias, which is great. It's for post-cult life. And then um, I read Escaping Utopia, which is about growing up in a cult and what that's like. And that one also gets me in my feels, made me cry. <laughs> I've quoted it. Um, so those are my big ex-cult leaders, but um, word. Yeah, this episode of our Exploring Podcast brought to you by <laughs> Combating Mind Control. It would I've be. never <laughs> met him. I will. Maybe this episode of us giving a plug for his book. He'll be like, yeah, that one little obnoxious. Ex ex Mormon woman <laughs> goes my heavenly mother. That's that's the one. Please find me. Um, <laughs> please find me, Doctor Hassan. Um, but he he has wonderful wonderful resources. And eventually, at one point, in my life I'd like to do that with my 
career. I'm already on the path. Oh, yeah. I'm on the path <laughs> to being. You're sitting fast, Steve. holding to the iron rod. The tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding to the iron The tree of life at the end is like a life like Steve has. <laughs> like, that's, that's there. Yeah, I passed my big licensing test. So I'm in, I'm in the mental health field like him. So And Yanya Lalich. So. <sighs> I'm probably saying her name, right? You know what? She can find me as well and correct my name. Yeah. Yeah, well, You're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this podcast episode is brought to you by. Who would you like to close in the name of? We've done, I think, oh, Steve Hassan wow. before. <laughs> have you done her yeah that's true can you say her name oh i'm horrible things uh, what was it again <laughs> yanya lalich <laughs> and we close this episode in the name of lanya yanya yanya like yanya like yanya or is it yaya oh my god i don't know it's yanya it's yanya yeah okay <laughs> in, the, in the name of her amen. <laughs> <laughs> in the name of yanya lalich <laughs>